Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. Um, we continue. <clears throat> we continue today our uh, series. Um, Who do you love? And um, we've talked about uh, the type of people that that we love, and we talked about. God is love, and today we'll talk a little bit about where the power to love comes from. And uh, so I want to encourage us, if you would like to join us in 1 John chapter 4, we pick up in verse 13. We've been walking through it uh, this month, and so we want to encourage you guys to follow along. It's also available on your Bible app. If you're using one of our house Bibles, they're available when you come through the door each week, and you're welcome to take those with you if you don't have a Bible at home. But uh, on those Bibles, it's page 878, and uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4. I'm just going to dive right in today, and uh, we'll, we'll start uh, working our way through it. It says, by this we know. Everybody say, by this. By this we know. So it's important to know what this is. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God so we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God now we talked parenthetically parenthetically, in the first week, we said God is love, but love itself is not God. And if we don't have a definition of love, and if we don't have an understanding of who God is, his character and nature and qualities, if we don't know God, we don't really know love. What we know is an emotional imposter. What we know is a fake Louis Vuitton on the streets of New York. That's what we know. We don't really, really know love. And so we want to move from this idea of an emotionalism-centered, I-make-it-up-as-I-go type love and really be grounded into who God is, and then let God's character flow in and through and out of us. And, as, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence. There's a reason that love needs to be perfected. There's a reason that you and I need to get a hold of it. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we come, Lord, to your word, uh, not as a relic or an ancient book, but we come to your word as a living, active, breathing word of God. And so, Father, we present ourselves today uh, as subjects, not as critics of your word. We present ourselves as subjects to be changed and transformed. We are the clay, you are the potter. And so, Father, I just pray that as we um, approach your word today, that each one of us would be looking 
for ways that you want to speak. I pray that we would get our own flesh out of the way and allow the Spirit of God to communicate to us exactly where we are and where you desire for us to go. Father, may we approach your word with reverence and humility, and may we trust that you have something to say to each one of our souls this morning. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. Help us to get this. Help us to get you so that we can properly love the world around us. We thank you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So as we dive in, we'll break down starting in verse 13. We've already been through the top 12 verses. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of what? What has he given? His spirit. His spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We've seen it. We testify to it. It's ours. It's our belief. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Isn't that a pretty powerful statement just to, to think? I mean, we could talk about abstract love and emotion and connection and all this stuff, but the, the Scriptures are like, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, if you have God's love, you have God. And God abides in you. The word abide is interesting. It, it, it's similar to what you all did when you came in today. You, you didn't do a whole lot of investigation. You didn't do a whole lot of work. And it's not taking you any work to sit right in that seat where you are or someone on the stairs. But it, it's, it's not moving. The seat is, 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 is there. It's secure. It's, it's ready for you. And all you do is rest. Abiding. God's Spirit rests in us, and we rest in His Spirit. When we understand and when we have God's love, then we can rest. Later, it speaks about judgment. It speaks about uh, the Scriptures everywhere. speak about chaos and turmoil and trouble. But the Christ follower who has the love of God has a particular level of abiding in Him, has a particular level of rest in this chaotic world, has a particular level of peace that the rest of the world can see. Not because you, in your flesh, went to a class or a seminar or you read a book, but because God has taken up residency in you and he abides in you and you abide in him. And yes, you're in this world and yes, you go through turmoil and yes, you see things that are crazy and chaotic, but you don't abide in those things. You know, when we all get it wrong, it's when we abide in the wrong things. When we abide in the relationship to get us by, and that relationship goes rocky, and all of a sudden our world's upside down. When we abide in our resources, and we say, man, as long as I got this much money, I'm going to feel peace. And it, you know as well as I do, it goes away. You'll have a health scare, you'll have a problem, something comes up, and, and, and boom. But if you're abiding not in the resources, not in the people around you, if you're not abiding in all these other things, not even in the job that you have, if your abiding is not in those areas, then what you're going to find is anything can come and go, and your walk with God stays strong. But what I've noticed is inside the church, it can become so easy to just walk the aisle, say a prayer, maybe get dunked in some water, and none of that really be true, and you haven't really understood and received God's love for you through Christ. And as a result, you continue to abide in relationships and money and the job. And then what happens is all your prayers become, hey, God, my world's rocked right now. Can you jump in? 
And he's like, yeah, that whole theology, I don't just jump in and jump out. I don't just come when you need me and leave when you... No, no, no. I'm abiding in you. My spirit takes up residency in your soul. You don't need to even cry out as though I'm not there. I'm right there present. Now, you can cry out and say, God, I don't feel your presence. But the theology is that God takes up residency in you. And you in him. And so for us, when we think about love, we first have to understand, like, we're not trying to judge love based on how a marriage works out. We're not trying to judge love based on a brother and sister that are fighting and can't get along. We're not trying to judge love based on even a parent who the scriptures uh, look and say, hey, we don't even get that right. And so what we're judging love by is the character and nature of God. And the character and nature of God says when he's in, he's in. And when he's there, he's there. There's none of this back and forth. Some of you have been so tarnished and broken by the idea of love or even the word imagery of God as father. That, that, that you are broken even when you look at scripture because you look and you just go, oh, just as the father loves. Well, let me tell you about my father. Oh, you'll always be there for me. Yeah, I've heard that before. But the theology is. No, he's not just making a promise. He's taking up residence. If he is in, he is in. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. By this we know. So that we have come to know and believe the love of God has for us. Let me slow down there. So that we have come to know and to believe. You remember the, the scripture says, even the demons know, but they shudder. And, and so there are plenty of us who can grow up in church and be around church people and be real polite, really be intellectual about our studies, but we don't really believe. We know it. We understand it. I was, uh, my, my wife and I were watching a documentary yesterday about uh, particular types of eating, and we were just, when we finished the show, we are like, wow. The thing is, there wasn't like a ton. There was some certain data points and all. But there wasn't, it wasn't like this was all that hard. You know, this is like, hey, hit the grocery store and work your way around the aisles. And if it didn't, you know, move or start its life in dirt, then maybe you shouldn't eat it. Right? Like, that's essentially what it comes down to. And we're like, yeah, we know it. But in this show... They went into different families' homes and they loaded up garbage bags of stuff that didn't meet that criteria. And we looked at each other and we were like, yeah, they would pretty well take out all of our food. <laughs> you see, the disconnect. No, believe. We can know a lot. We can know what we should do. We could know what we should eat. We could know how long we should exercise. We, sh we could know how much time we should spend with our children because time is fleeting. We could know, know, know. But believe. But believe. Are we resting our hope in it? The love of God. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God because God is love. And God abides in him. You see, you and I, by the love of God, can rest in him and understand that the spirit of God rests in you. 
But we take this abiding and, man, we turn it into, uh, today's the day, Daytona 500. We, we turn our lives into the Daytona 500, don't we? There is. Let me tell you how much abiding is happening on that racetrack. Nobody's abiding. It is life and death. And, and, a, and a, any little movement, and the anxiety's there, and the focus is there, and the drive and determination is there. We got to get this just right. And we don't want it. We're going to go three, four wide, and, and we don't want anybody to bump. And we live our lives. Ugh. God said, no, I don't get it. Like, I, when you have my love, I created the world. I spoke this into existence. Every thought you have, I know already. And every sin you've ever committed, I know already. And guess what? I love you. And not only do I love you from a distance, but I come close. I don't even just come close to be your neighbor. I'm not even close enough to smell your breakfast. I abide in you. And I allow you to take up residency in me. And you know what's beautiful is that when my, my son or my daughter, they're having a rough moment. Like the other day we had some basketball games. And when my daughter wasn't feeling it, and she just felt overwhelmed by the moment. The beautiful thing is my daughter running up and just putting her head in my chest. Just saying, this moment is too much. I need to rest in my dad. And how many of us find that when the moment gets too much, when we found ourselves knowing but not believing, that we think, Dad's not who I'm going to run to right now. I'm going to run to sex. I'm going to run to numbing my pain. I'm going to run to my food addiction. I'm going to run to pornography. I'm going to run to a relationship. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. And he's like, no, 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 that's not my love for you. My love for you is that you run to me. My love for you is that I want to be so close, I'll take up residency in your life. We talk about the immaculate conception, about the Spirit of God taking up residency in Mary, the birth of Jesus. That's essentially what's happening here. The Scripture is saying, you know what? When you become in me, the Spirit of God takes up residency in you. And we sit at a distance and we're like, that was special. That was unique. That was different. And it was, but that's the gift that's offered us literally. The Spirit of God hovers over Mary, takes up residency in Mary, and births Jesus. When you and I come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residency in us and lives and moves and has His being. And if we will get our flesh out of the way, and if we will just simply abide in Him, and if we will not try to outmaneuver God, He'll make this life that we live far more beautiful, far more powerful, far, far more engaging with the lost and dying world around us. Now, is it a promise that if, the res if Jesus takes up residency, it's health and wealth and you'll never have anything wrong? No, that's foolish. That's not even in the Bible. It, it, it's just simply the promise that he's there. And what he's saying is, what is more important? That you get what you want or you get me. And if you want me, then you get what you want. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things. Go back and read what all these things were. All these things had to do with, with food and, and, 
and warm clothes. But he said, look, seek first the kingdom, even above food and warm clothes and shelter. Do you want something else and you want God to get you that something else? Or do you want God? Because if you want God, and he takes up residency in you, then you have all you want. The gospel's not about if you get God, then you get money. If you get God, then you get power. If you get God, then you get a job. No. It's if you want love, you get God. If you, get, if you want God, you get love. Christ's love, write this down if you're jotting notes today. Christ's love seals us with his spirit. We're sealed. We're sealed. A seal is what a, a, a king would use. They would come and they would have a, a, a signet ring and they would pour wax over the signet, they would dip the signet ring over wax and they would stamp a rolled document, a scroll, and a messenger would take it. And the way that you knew it was true was because it was sealed. You could trust the validity of what was inside because it came from the king's hands and it met your hands if you're in a distant place. And the way that you could tell was there was a seal. The Spirit of God in us is the seal that we know for sure that we know. This book, 1 John, is, is one that, that preachers and laymen alike for a long, long, long time, millennia, have pointed to and said, hey, if you're not sure where you are with God, read 1 John. Why? Because over and over and over, by this we may be sure. Chapter 2, verse 3, by this we may be sure that we know him. Verse 5, by this we may be sure that we're in him. 3.10, by this we may be seen that we are children of God. 3.14, we know that we have passed from death into life. By this we shall know, 3.19, that, that we are of the truth. 3.24, by this we shall know he abides in us. 4.2, by this we shall know the spirit of God. 4.6, by this we shall know the spirit of truth. 5.2, by this we should know that we love children of God. 5.13, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. By this you should know. By this you should know. By this you should know. And he's saying, you know what? By this seal of the Spirit of God. When God abides in you and you, you abide in God, then love abides in you and you're abiding in love because God is love. This is the seal of the Christian. But the know and believe aspect means that there are people who could know an awful lot about this gospel, know an awful lot about this book. And I genuinely believe one of the most sad things that's going to happen at judgment. Lord, Lord, I proclaimed in your name. I did missions in your name. I cared for the poor in your name. Lord, I look. And he says, depart from me, for I never what? Knew you. So we can, we can know stuff about God without actually knowing God. How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? You know because you're sealed with the Spirit of God. Love is in you and you rest in love. John wants the reader to know that it's important for us to be assured and aware of God's presence. God, John wants us to know 
to be assured and to be aware of God's presence. It's vital that we're assured of our standing before God. It's vital that we're aware of the presence of God. So many Christians, Sunday you're aware of God and then six more days a week, yeah, it's hit or miss. <laughs> right? It depends who calls me first. It depends if I've had coffee. It depends if the Ravens won. It depends, it depends, it depends. And that's the sad thing is that Jesus is trying to tell us like, no, 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 no. I'm always with you. I'm with you when you're winning. I'm with you when you're feeling down. I'm with you when they're loving you. I'm with you when they're, they're scolding you. I'm always with you. And we should take heart on this, this Valentine's week. The Christian, we're never in pursuit of love. If we'll be assured of our standing before God, and if we will be aware of His love over us, we're never alone. You plus God is an army. If God is for me, who can be against me? If I am championing the person and the work of Jesus on the cross, if I am abiding in His love, if I am aware of His presence, all of these other things that I want to affirm me can fall by the wayside and I still have what I want. But it's important that we understand that we're assured and we're aware of His presence because it changes a posture. And First John talks about this posture that gets changed. If you understand who you are in Christ, if you understand the love of God, then what happens is there's a posture change. Verse 17, by this is love perfected. Everyone say perfected. Love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So he's telling us, he's like, you know, it's not only important that you're assured and aware of the presence of God, the sealing of the Spirit. But it's so vital because it changes our perspective. Christ's love gives security of our eternal standing. His love gives us a security about our eternal standing. My friends, Judgment Day is just not a, a Terminator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Judgment Day is a real day when we're going to stand before God. There's going to be a moment the scripture says over and over and over, there's going to be a moment. And you and I have to think about how am I approaching that moment? Am I afraid of standing before God? Or am I assured of my standing before God? If you and I understand the love of God, if you and I abide not in ourself or in our theology or in our mental, we just abide in Christ. Christ alone, that's it. If we will abide in Him and He in us, then we have a different posture when we think about judgment. We have a different posture when we think about our Father in Heaven. We have a different posture when we think about God Himself. Because we say, wow, 
I can't wait to see God. I can't wait to stand before Him. I can't wait to, to, to just love Him and experience His love in a whole different way. Judgment Day, Danny Aiken says this, Judgment Day is something every person shall consider with a healthy seriousness. It is real and it is coming. No one spoke more often or more vividly of judgment than did Jesus. The word hell, or in Greek, Gehenna, is used 12 times in the New Testament. All but one of them comes from the mouth of Jesus. It's, it's a sober statement, but in the New Testament, 11 of 12 times we see the word hell, it comes from our Savior. And he's walking around proclaiming a kingdom. He's like, it doesn't have to be this way. And he's looking to the lost and he's saying, get right with God. It doesn't have to be this way. And he's looking to the religious zealots who have a knowledge but no belief. And he's looking at them saying, it doesn't have to be this way. It is the kingdom is coming. John the Baptist said, there's somebody coming that's better than me. I'm not even fit to deal with his sandals. And, and, and when he sees Jesus, he's like, how am I to baptize you? You're so much above me. But Jesus comes. He's like, no, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Because why? There's a hell. There's a, there's a moment when a declaration takes place. I love you so much. I'm willing to die to be the bridge that you walk through to get to heaven. But let's not, let's not be lightly. Let's not play lightly with judgment. And let's not pretend that the judgment day idea is something that, that, that Christian preachers made up to try to scare you. Let's just have a sober picture and say, no, no, no. The Jesus that I worship spoke 11 of 12 times in the New Testament. He spoke of hell. And it's loving to say to somebody who is bound for it, it is loving to say to them, it doesn't have to be this way. But your posture is changed when you think of judgment. And so you and I, we might, just because we've been coming to church for a while, you and I might go, man, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But what do you think about judgment? Does it, does it rattle your cage a little bit? Are, are, you, are you insecure about where you stand before God? Are you a little nervous? You're like, yeah, I'm banking on this church thing. But I mean, I don't know. Pastor's funky sometimes. I'm not sure if he's good enough to give a good word. It's not how it works anyway. I'm not going to get... He got, <laughs> can you imagine that? God sitting down with pastors. Hey, Tolly, what do you think about this one? I don't know. He's not going to think, care what I think. You know why? Because he already knows you. You know why? Because he sealed his children with his spirit. He's already taken up residency. He doesn't need me. But what I love about our church is I don't have, I genuinely as a pastor, some churches are designed and built for those that are already signed, sealed, delivered, sanctified, everything. There's, man, you're, you're a high holy roller, then you're allowed in. Here, I'm, you ever play that game Landmine a long time ago on your phone? Or you just like, here, it's like, I don't know, Lord. All I know is that we're going to teach it and preach it, and we're going to keep doing what Jesus did and say, hey, the invitation's open. 
and I don't really care. It, 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 it's, it's weird. I really don't care. I was telling somebody my philosophy of ministry, and I was like, you know what? I, I kind of am down with a third, a third, a third. I, I'm down with like a third of our crowd being, being unsaved, unsure, unregenerate, unrepentant. I'm glad. I'm cool with that. And then like a third that are kind of new and growing, and then like a third of you that are like mature in your faith and walking with him and you're doing everything right. I love that idea. A third, a third, a third. Why? Because there's a third of people that are bound to go to hell that have two-thirds of this congregation that can help them get there. Get Not get there. Don't let them get there. <laughs> that can help them get to heaven instead because they'll say, hey, we're friends. We hang out. We know each other. Like, what's going on in your world? Have you trusted Christ to save you? What are you leaning on? Are you leaning on your own power, the flesh? What are you leaning on? And I love the idea that, that we're a church where people would come in and they observe some stuff. They're like, I don't know, that pastor tolerates. Do you see what they're doing? He doesn't even seem to be mad. Like, why? What am I do? I want him here. I want him here. I want him close. I want him in my house. Why? Because how else are we going to reach people? You want a security guard out front? That's just like, hey, you know. Random Bible question today. You in or you out? You know, we're not doing that. What we're going to do is say everybody's welcome here. Everybody's coming in. But I've told you guys for 10 years, I preached the same message 52 times. There's a better way. His name is Jesus. And there's a lot of people that don't like that. They're just like, no, no, no. I just, we got to go deep. We got to go deep. We got to go deep. No, you don't. Because in the shallow end of love your neighbor, you're already drowning. You don't need to go any deeper, my friend. Now, is it okay to go deep? Of course. Because you might be in a place where you need to know the character and the, the, the will of God, and you're really wrestling with big things right now. That's great. That's great. I got the degrees on the wall. I told you a couple weeks ago, I just unraveled them out of these tubes a couple weeks ago. Why? Because I'm not driven by that. That doesn't impress me. What's funny when people um, invite me to speak someplace or whatever, or, or they come up after and they mean real well, they just go, you make it so plain. And I'm like, okay, either you think I'm stupid or it's a compliment. <laughs> I'm going to go with the compliment just so I feel better. But you know why I try to make things plain? I try to make things plain because I believe Jesus did. And he said, you know what? This is be faith like a child. Like a child should be able to get this. A child should be able to get this. Christ's love gives us security in our eternal standing. We don't need to fear judgment day. I, uh, this week, we pulled out a cassette tape at my house of my very first sermon. And I connected this cassette. I hadn't listened to this thing since. It, I don't even know how I got it, to be honest. I found it in uh, last year cleaning out our basement. I found it in a tub of my old stuff, like, um, like trophies and all this stuff. It had my singlet from when I wrestled as a freshman in high school. And uh, I'll just say, if I tried to put that on today, it would not be a pretty sight. But... This, uh, so we pulled out this cassette tape, and it's so fun watching my son, who's, who's uh, music, he does music produ production and stuff, everything digital. And it was so fun 
for him. I put it on A side, and we hit this button, and it's like, he's like, Dad, what are we doing? I'm like, we got to get to the beginning, son. He's like, what? I was like, son, if you wanted a song in my day, there was a fee to be paid. You were paying a toll to get back to that song. And so we're, and so I just asked, how you doing, bud? What's going on in your world? Like, we're just waiting. So we get there, and we hit, and we hit play. You know how it starts? And it was the, the wrong side. So, like, I was like, oh. Zero, 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 zero. But this was my first sermon. This picture here is the first time I ever preached at my church. And I was headed for a mission trip um, to Houston. And in this picture, uh, 16 17 years old, and um, we sang Rich Mullins' Awesome God. Uh, I have it on audio, and um, you will not have it on audio. (laughs) But in this message, it was so neat to listen to 16, 17-year-old Tolly. Because what I thought at that moment is the same thing that I'm preaching right now. The illustration that drove the bulk of that message had to do with your ticket has been paid. And I talked about how there's a difference going to the airport, not sure if you have a seat on the flight versus if you have the ticket in your hand. And I talked about the, the, the approach that we have towards that flight. Because if I'm going to the airport in hopes that I can pay, in hopes that I can get on, I'm going to have this anxiousness all the way there. But if I have the ticket, and if I know the ticket has been paid, then I can confidently step up to the gentleman or the lady and say, I'm going to. And there are many of us in Christ who we forget that our ticket has been paid. But one step further, the ticket wasn't paid out of your own money. It was paid by Jesus. You don't need to fear judgment day if you know love. If you know God, God is in you and you are in him. There's a new posture. So it's with this new posture of being sealed in Christ, secured in his love, that we come to the final point. We love because. Everybody say because. Because. There's a motive. Why do you love? Pastor tells me to. Why did I go half country there? I feel like I just insulted people in, in like Georgia. My apologies, friends in Georgia. But, but why, why do we love? Well, I love because I'm sealed in Christ. I'm secured of my position. And and, and it's my responsibility to reflect what's been given to me already. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is why your pastor trips out so much on the idea of loving your neighbor over almost everything else. Why? Because it's the evidence the scripture gives me that you have God's love in you. 
Um, can you love your neighbor in an emotional way, in an outward way? Can you give your neighbor five bucks and not be a Christian? Of course, of course, of course. I'm not claiming that. I'm not saying being nice to your neighbor makes you saved. What I'm saying is, though, if you're saved, you're going to be nice to your neighbor. You're going to love people. But do you know a lot of our churches can be as cold as the morgue? And I've had people say, well, I just hate big church. It's not very warm. No, that's not always true. I've been in some big churches that are extremely warm. And more often than not, I've been in smaller churches that are very cold. And so it's not about that. What it's about is whether or not the people inside are saved and sanctified. That's what it's about. And how do I know if we're saved and sanctified? We love people. And so we're going to do our best for the rest of life that I'm given to be your pastor, we're going to do our very best to demonstrate God's love. Christ's love sends us to share him with the world. If we're sealed, if we're secured, then we also are sent. If we're sealed by his love, if we're secured in his love, then we are sent to share his love. You see, we've got to complete the circle here. We've got to complete it. You were not given heaven so you could watch people go to hell. You were not given this treat because you're that special that he came down and, and you hear, he just died for you. And if there was only one, it'd be you. And you're just like, yeah, wow, that's awesome. If there was only one, it'd be me. So I'm going to live my life believing it's just me. No. He, he sealed you with his love. When you trust Christ as Savior, he seals you with the promised Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God in you will do what the Spirit of God does. But I got news for you, my friend. The Spirit of God is not interested in sitting on the couch while you watch television all night and your neighbor's dying and going to hell. The Spirit of God is not interested in you taking 100% of every resource you have and self-indulging with it. That's not what the Spirit of God is about. The Spirit of God is about all of His children everywhere who need to hear this gospel message of love that comes from heaven. And so you know what? You are sealed with the Spirit of God. You are sealed in His love. And that should make you feel secure about something. You should be secure enough to say, you know, hell or high water is going to come. I'm going to love my Savior and I'm going to feel His presence and His love. And when I cannot see, I cannot, the old adage is, when you cannot trust his hand, you can always trust his heart. And so that's the security that I have. Well, good. I'm sealed. I'm secured. No matter what I face, it's going to be great. And, and because he's with me, and that's all I want, and all these other things are going to come and go, and that's okay. But, but I'm sealed and I'm secured. For what? Does it stop there? Are you sealed and secured? So, so what? Why does he seal us? Why does he secure us? He does it to send us. We love because he first loved us. Anybody says, I love God and hates his brother. And you say, well, I don't hate anybody. I mean, goodness, I, I don't hate anybody. How much do you have to hate somebody to know they could go to hell and you don't say a word about it? 
how much would I have to hate the world around me to just look at a person and go, yep, glad I got in. We're in the World Trade Center. Planes hit. Fire's breaking out. Every man for themselves. How many stories do you know from that day where the heroes are the ones that stepped on a little child on their way out, knocked down an older person on the way out? They just got out and they said, yep, look at me, I made it. No. The ones that we admire, the ones that we, we know in our hearts, the, 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 the Bible says that there are certain things, there are certain truths, the law of God is just written on our hearts, and, and we know to honor the ones that rushed back in, or honor the ones that helped an older person, or honor the ones that scooped up a child, that cared about not just their own sense of getting out, but cared about others too. And as Christ followers, we cannot be content to feel that we're sealed with the presence of God, secured for that day of judgment, and then stiff-arm the world. No, we must be sealed, secured, and sent. Do something with your life that makes an eternal difference. Don't just wait to die. I was watching an event, uh, the All-Star weekend and there's thousands of people and I'm like what's really sad is that the, the actual truth is in 50, 60 maybe 70 years none of those people will exist it's a short time friends and the older you get the more you realize how fragile life is and how short a time we've got we cannot as Christians continue to be saved and sanctified, sealed and secured, and then stiff-arm the world. We've got to get our house in order and get our priorities in order and say, Lord, you have all of me. And all of me means my time, my talent, my treasure, my heart's desire, my thoughts, my compassion towards others. You have all of me. It's not about me being an intellectual heavyweight. It's about me being somebody worthy of the gospel. And since you care about people enough, to rescue. I'm going to get in the game and rescue. So finally for the for to close out today. I just have a question. How can you live loved? Sealed and secured and sent or sealed, secured and silent? Which way do you think is living loved? I'm sealed, I'm secured, and I have a purpose to love the people around me and point them towards Jesus. Or I'm sealed, I'm secured, and I'm going to keep this thing to myself. This week, I want us to celebrate being sealed in the love of God. No matter what you go through, know that you're loved. Be secured in your eternal future. Now, if that rocks your world and, and you're, you're, you're shaking like a leaf about Judgment Day, then you need to talk to one of us. Just grab somebody in this room and say, hey, I think I need to talk about. And if anything, come find me. Let's talk. But you should feel secured about 
eternity. But then what do you do? You just live the rest of your life for yourself? Have at it. I just don't think that's loving. Or do you enjoy the life that you have, but you always break off a piece for other people around you? Make sure that there are people going to heaven because you were here. God puts you in this generation, in this season of time, in this particular area of geography for this purpose. To love the people right here in the Baltimore area with the sake, for the sake of the gospel so that they too can join you. And one day you will look back and you'll be standing in heaven and there'll be people that says, I'm here because of him. I'm here because of her. And I'm so thankful that God wove them into my story. Church, I love you. I know God loves you. Christ has done everything to love you. Let us be challenged to get away from the petty, get away from the selfishness, and really love the world around us. And many of you are already doing it, and that's why I love you as your pastor, and I'm thankful to be a part of you and be among you. But there's always room for all of us to say, Lord, what would you have me do next? What would you have me do next to show your love? Let's pray.